Hello, I'm Nick, and this is the Niche Aviation Podcast. This week, I speak to Tyson and Callie of Ag Aviation Adventures. Tyson and Callie work in agricultural aviation, more commonly, and it turns out wrongly, known as crop dusting. In 2019, they started a YouTube channel to show what it's like to work in ag aviation. Since then, they've posted hours of content and developed a loyal fan base. If you're looking to learn more about crop dusting or looking for a career in ag aviation, then this is the podcast for you. Callie and Tyson, once again, thank you very much for coming on. I'm a big fan of your YouTube and Instagram. I've just binged on all your content and it's been it's it's been brilliant. So maybe actually if you could both give us a bit of background behind you both and, and what you do. I'm Callie and Tyson, we're a dream team is what I like to call us. We work in ag aviation out in Minnesota. And so we live in Minnesota from May to October. And then October to May, we live out in Colorado and that's our off season. So we work for this company, but we have one location to ourselves. We run the location. I do everything in the office and Tyson is the pilot. And in the last two years, we've started sharing what we do with the world and the internet. (laughs) And that's where Ag Aviation Adventures was born. We do a lot of videos, whether it's getting people inside the cockpit with Tyson or keeping them on the ground with me. We show them kind of the behind the scenes. We answer a lot of questions and we'll just dream up all these questions that people may have about the industry in general and make a video about them. Yeah, it's amazing. And and it's definitely enlightened me in terms of what crop dusting. And I, if I say crop dusting, most people will be like, oh, I know exactly what you're saying, <laughs> that it's not crop dusting, it's agricultural aviation or Aerial, what was the other name for it? Aerial application. That's one. Can you just explain a bit why before we go into this? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for having us on. We're happy to be here. And you're right. So even I use the term crop dusting a lot in my videos uh, when Callie's posting on social media. I think mainly because a lot of people know what it means. They they get a picture right away. I have said, you know, I'm going to agriculture pilot or an aerial applicator and people they don't really know what you're talking about but uh, i may lead it with that and then say well a crop duster and then they say oh i i know okay yeah we're on the (laughs) same page now um i there are people that don't like the term crop duster and i don't necessarily disagree with them but i don't really put my foot down so hard but when it first started you were not actually spraying anything. You were dusting the crops. And so that's kind of where it came from. But I think that a lot of people have this idea in their heads that it's just this fly by the seat of your pants, you're a cowboy, um, and you're just out there, you know, <laughs> doing your thing. And and so I think that's why people don't necessarily like it is because it doesn't necessarily shine the brightest light on the industry. Yeah. Do you have a fixed site and you just you do all the farms around that area is that right kind of we do have a fixed location and it's out in the country it's a private airstrip it's about a half mile long and then there's a hangar built right there as well as the load site so all of your water your fuel all of that stuff is right there we pull our camper out there and we live right there all summer 
but we also do travel as well. So there are busier times than others. And when we get up to Minnesota, the month of June is busy. And then about the first half of July can be busy. And then it really tapers off from there. And so we actually will go on the road at that point. And we go down to southern Minnesota. It's about a five-hour drive for Cali and about a two-hour flight for me. And we go down there and we actually work directly with co-ops. So when we're back at our home location, we'll do some work for co-ops where they come in and their customers need stuff sprayed. But then we'll also work directly with our farmers there uh, in the area. They'll come in and say, hey, I need this or I need that done. There are things happening in August that there's not enough ground rigs to even cover the amount of work that there is. So the area calls in airplanes to help out. And so this kind of started happening eight or nine years ago. And so we do go down there and we spray corn and soybeans down there. And those are really the two major crops that are grown. And so we'll usually be on the road for four to six weeks um, in that area um, at the kind of the end of uh, the spray season for us. So August and beginning of September. We're just living out of hotels down there and there we work off of three airports down there. So we kind of bounce between the three airports and live the hotel life for a little bit. Oh, brilliant. Um, but the industry as a whole, I understand in, in the US is most of the businesses are owner operators. So when you guys do your farms, are there lots of different farms? How does How does it all fit in? In terms of ag aviation operations in the U.S., I, f- I feel like there are a few companies that are large, larger, um, but a lot of them are small owner-operator companies. Yeah, yeah. by far, um, the majority of the operators out there are going to be owner-operators. Um, and like Callie said, there are a handful that they maybe have 15 to 30 aircraft, and those are large operations that are corporate, but uh, I would say that absolutely a majority are going to be owner operators. Do you develop relationships over the years with the farmers because you've worked with them a number of years? Do you get that side as well? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. When we get out there, you know, you can see the camper sitting next to the hangar, you can see the door open and people will come by and say, oh, I'm so glad to have you back this year again. How was your winter? This is what we did. So yeah, we know all the farmers in the area. We, We know them well. That's brilliant. And that that's that's like um what I really interested in the podcast is one of the things is actually these bits of aviation which aren't see customers for who they are, right? And uh, you're not just a number on a spreadsheet when when you're for example if you're working for a British Airways or something and a passenger's just a number on a spreadsheet, but we're actually when you're doing your job, you actually understand your customers and you see them day in day out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the type of aircraft that you you're on an air tractor 502 that's correct can you give me a bit of background behind air tractor and the 502 as the name suggests that 502 designates that it's a 500 gallon airplane and that's 500 is is the actual tank of the size of the liquid that you're dropping right yes that's correct yep and so they have everything from a 300 gallon airplane they have a 400 this 500 a 600, and then all the way up to the 802, which is an 800-gallon airplane. Yeah. And an air tractor, they're specifically for aviation. Are there any other aircraft that do it, or are they the main? Um, So the other large company that does it is called Thrush, and they also have a small series of aircraft that are different sizes as well. 
And then there are older aircraft out there that were made by Cessna as well as Piper. And they, they're they small. So the, the one that I'm flying is a turbine aircraft. So it has a basically a jet engine, but it drives a propeller. So it'd be considered a turboprop. Is turbo it the Pratt prop. & Whitney PT-6? Yes, it? that's right. Yep, this one has a Dash 34 in it these the like the Cessna ag wagon that's out there um that's not a turbine aircraft that's uh, a completely different one a lot smaller um a lot smaller of a hopper on it and those aren't made anymore and so they're still being flown there's plenty of them out there but the two big ones that are currently being made and in in a lot of production is going to be the thrush and the air tractor and and there's another misconception is these are old aircraft but that's not the case is it um, no, I mean, definitely some of them can be old, but, yeah. um, you know, to go and if you're going to get a new air tractor, um, say, uh, like a 502, you're going to spend over a million dollars on that. Um, wow. and so it's, there's a lot of technology built into them and, uh, it's not cheap. <laughs> so, yeah, I can imagine. So how many will the operators in Minnesota how many aircraft will each operator have? Will it just be one or what's the average? Um, I I would bet that most operators have probably two or possibly three aircraft, um, but probably as an average, maybe two. And how long will the aircraft, what's the useful life of something like that? Um, it's, it's quite long. So that's what's nice about it. Um, when these aircraft went to turbine engines, they're expensive, but they last a really long time and they're reliable. And so there are there's a lot that can be done over the useful life of the aircraft to keep it in the air. You can replace a lot of the different parts on it. Um, if things are starting to corrode, you can get different parts and put them in place of them so that the aircraft can stay in the air. So, um, I mean, I, I've flown ones all the way back to about the mid 70s uh so thrush has been oh, wow. around yeah thrush has been around longer than air tractor and they have a lot of airplanes that started out with a round radial engine on them and that was back in the 70s and they've actually been able to convert them and you can put the turbine engine on them now and so there are a lot from the 70s that are still flying that have been uh converted over to a turbine engine and, uh, you know, they have 20 or 30,000 hours on the airframe of the aircraft, but uh, they keep them going. So, yeah, wow. you can you can really. So how many hours are you putting on roughly? Because you're just flying in the summer, right? How many yeah. hours are you putting on? Um, so in a, it's it's roughly about three months. Uh, the flying season starts in June and usually it's over by about the second week of September. And so in that time frame, I'll usually put on about 500 hours. And and will the aircraft fly for the remainder of the season? Or uh, just... Nope. Then it gets parked, and um, yeah, it just it sits for the winter. Uh, has maintenance done on it and stuff, and it's ready to go when we get back up there for the summertime. Yeah, that's that's it's quite a niche aircraft just to have for three months a year. I know it. It is to think that they're you know that you have a million dollar airplane just sitting there all winter. Um, yeah, so it it has to really work and. That's the thing, you know, once we're up there in the summer, um, a majority of it, it's sun up to sundown and that that airplane is just running all day long. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, actually. If you're paying a million dollars and you're flying 500 hours, is it really expensive for the the farmers? 
Yeah, it is very expensive. You know, when a farmer decides that they're going to have aerial application done, it, it's not it's not just a willy nilly, you know, I don't feel like going out there. So I'm going to have Tyson go and do it. It's a very expensive thing to have done. And um, that's kind of over all of farming. It's like that. I mean, the farm equipment that they're using can easily be three or four hundred thousand uh, yeah. dollars. And so, you know, everything is expensive. Um, and uh, with the aircraft, the idea is to take that expense and, like you said, kind of go over the years with it. It's it's not, oh, I'm just going to keep this thing for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, you really have to divide that cost over lots of hours of flying the airplane. But as a result as well, are the organizations all old organizations or as in the, the actual operators or they are they, do you find new startups coming in with new money to try and take over or is it generally people have been doing it for ages um it it generally is people have been doing it for ages and yeah there i mean every now and then in the areas that we travel to and fly out of and stuff there may be someone new coming in but it's not generally someone that just shows up with an airplane and is says hey i'm here anyone that needs work done it's usually someone buys out an operator that's been there for a long time. And that kind of goes back to the fact that it's a small, tight-knit industry. These are all family farmers. So just to show up with an airplane, it's unlikely that, you know, Joe, who has been flying there for 30 years and has all these customers, it's highly unlikely that any of his customers are going to say, well, you know, I know, I know that I've been flying with you for the last 30 years, Joe. I'm going to go fly with this brand new guy that just showed up <laughs> here last night named Tyson. And so it, it's not easy to just, you know, show up at a random airport and try to start getting people's work um, just yeah. because of the fact that it is so tight knit. And a lot of these people, this is where they've spent their entire lives. You know, they went to school with the pilot that's flying their fields and stuff. Um, they grew up with them. And so it's it's a very tight knit community like that. And I wanted to mention as well, in Northwest Minnesota, there's a short growing season there, but there are places here in the U.S. That's, that fly year-round, such as in the South, California, Texas, Arizona. Um, so it's kind of different depending on the part of the country that you're in. So just wanted to mention that some operators will be flying year-round or nine months out of the year. It's it's kind of different wherever you are geographically. Yeah, and that's interesting as well, especially from my side. I, I forget how large the U.S. is. I was looking today, and, and Minnesota is about the same size as the U.K. And, and so <laughs> when we're talking spaces, you just say, well, actually... <laughs> Why do you spray, and this is improving my understanding here, is why do you choose aerial application versus spraying on the ground? Because in the UK, most of the spraying is done on the ground. So there, there's a few different reasons. So one is if it's too wet. If we are getting a lot of rain and the farmer can't get out there to get his ground rig through the field, then it'll need to be done with an airplane, obviously, because we don't put our wheels in the ground and stuff. And so if it's too muddy, uh, they can't get out there. And then different life stages of the plant uh, as it gets bigger and the leaves start growing together. If you go out there and you trample through these plants, it can be very detrimental to the yield that you're going to see at the end of the year. It can be cost prohibitive to go out there and do it with your own equipment. So even if you pay an airplane to go do it, yeah. in the end, you may be saving money because you're not going out there and producing a smaller yield for yourself because you're doing it with your own equipment. 
Uh, so that can be the other big reason is um, is just what stage the plant is in. And that's for us when we go down to southern Minnesota and spray down there, the corn and soybeans, that's a big thing for it is because if they go out there with their ground rigs and put wheel tracks in it, where they do that, it's going to affect the yield a lot. Uh, right. That makes that makes sense. Callie, if we just run through actually your typical day, because I know you and Tyson do slightly different things. So actually, when you're going through the season, what is it that you do? And then we can talk about what Tyson does. Yeah, we do very different jobs. I've joked online before that the biggest risk I have is when I'm driving the forklift full of cardboard boxes and I am too lazy to tie the cardboard boxes down. So I'm trying to make it from my load shed to the trash without losing any boxes. Meanwhile, Tyson is out flying uh, 150 miles across the field, trying not to hit anything. So I think um, you're underselling yourself there. Don't worry. (laughs) My typical day starts the evening before because I try to be as efficient as possible. And if I can be ready for my morning the night before, then that helps us get a head start on the day. So basically, I always want to be one or two steps ahead of Tyson so that I'm always ready for him. So we wake up, I'll have our morning planned out. And so I can have his load ready in the cone for him to take first thing in the morning. So literally all we have to do is get the airplane out, fuel it and fill it. And then he's off on his first load. And this is probably- And when you're saying what the load, what actually is the load? Yeah. So let's say, uh, I'll give you an example here. Let's say farmer John walks in and he has 500 acres that he needs sprayed. And these 500 acres are not all going to be the same field. So it's maybe, let's just for simplicity sake, we'll say it's five fields, 500 acre fields. And this is like an ideal situation. And we'll say that it's five gallon work. So we do anything from two gallon work to five gallon work with the airplane. And it's depending on the crop, depending on the product. And so if we're spraying five gallon work, we have a hundred acres to do with the airplane in one load. So 500 acres will be 500 acre loads. Is this, this is, is this getting confusing. confusing for anyone yet? No, I, I think I think I kind of. So so when you're saying it's five gallon, is that the actual amount of? Maybe if we touch on it, it's not just pesticides going straight in and on the ground, is it? So when I say five gallons, that's five gallons per acre. And that's typically water. So we'll take an example of a chemical and the rate of the chemical will be six ounces per acre. Yeah. So the chemical that's being applied to the crop is six ounces per acre. The water is five gallons or four gallons and you know, whatever. Ah, right. So that makes, so there's a lot of maths that goes into beforehand. You sit down with the farmer and you discuss that actually, right, this is what, how many, and I guess that will be determined by how much the plant needs and all, and there's a bunch of variables there. Totally. Um, and so you'll decide that the night before, fill it in and then refuel it in the morning. And then how does Tyson know where to go? How does that all work? Yeah. So we use a software on the computer and I map out the field. And then I basically create a work order and that shows the chemical rates, what we're spraying for the crop and the size of the field. And then it's mapped. So then that shape of the map is given to him and he actually plugs that file into his GPS on the airplane and he can pull up those exact coordinates of that field. And it shows up on his GPS. That's incredible. So his day is pretty much planned out all day by USP pen. 
yeah, I basically just hand him a map and hand him the USB and give him kind of a rundown of the packet, we'll call it. And then he goes from there. What was your typical start and finish time then? When we're busy, it's sunup to sundown. And it's actually a little bit before sunup. So we're pushing the airplane out. It's dark and then, you know, getting ready to go as soon as he can see where we're going. Um, and then we're shutting down. Uh, sometimes in Minnesota, it's it's 10 o'clock at, well, I'd say you're probably landing by 9.30 at the latest. Yeah, that's that's the problem with Minnesota is we're so far north. <laughs> it gets it gets light really early and stays light kind of late. So. so you're getting, what, like 14, 15 hours of sunlight a day? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can be in the airplane taking off at about 5 a.m. Uh, on the longest of days, and I can be shutting down at about 9.50 p.m. Wow. And so it just makes for really long days. Yeah, I can imagine. And then how long will you be up in the air for each load? Yeah, so I'm usually out um, probably typically 30 to 40 minutes uh, every load. And so I'll go out, spray, I land. And when I land, Callie is there ready for me. She hooks up my fuel hose. It's automatic, so it connects to the airplane uh, it's called a dry lock, and it, it literally connects to the airplane, and it, and it starts feeding fuel in, and then she connects the water hose, and she starts giving me water as well as chemical while the fuel is also going. So I usually take about as many gallons of fuel for every minute that I'm out. So if I was out for 30 minutes, I usually take about 30 gallons of fuel. She's doing all of that. She also washes my window every time I land. And I'm usually on the ground for about three and a half minutes with her. And she disconnects everything once I'm full on water. And I say water because uh, kind of back to Callie's point, it's a lot of it's water. Majority of it is. Uh, so if I went out and sprayed a football field, I would literally have about uh, as much chemical in the airplane as what you would have in a can of soda. There's also surfactants in there that will make it come out of the airplane and make it give a nice pattern as well as stick to the plan. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into it. And so it's not just all this 500 gallons of straight chemical that's going into the airplane. But uh, I'm on the ground for about three and a half minutes. During that time, Callie gives me my next map that I'm going to go spray. So I don't know all day long. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. Um, I know for the first maybe few loads in the morning, but then as I'm out spraying, more work's coming in. And so every time I land, she's got a new USB for me. I plug it in my GPS. And is that just farmers calling in all day? Or is there a head office somewhere that's giving you this work to do? It's a mix. It's kind of both. Yeah. So the company that we work for, they're going to be um, putting work into the computer. We may not see anyone, but they'll call or they'll just put it in and it gets updated in the computer. So Callie goes inside after I leave and she's, well, my gosh, I, you know, there's another thousand acres that just came in. And so she's then printing maps, getting the product that we, if we don't have the product there, she's calling to get it delivered. And so this is where for me, I literally just, I'm a monkey in an airplane. I literally just sit in there and go and spray and I've turned my music on and I'm in my own little world. And I've, been in her world and it is not a fun world to be in <laughs> it's it's chaos uh, i mean she's constantly on the phone trying to figure out what we need what we don't have if there's been something that's been screwed up she's on the phone with farmers uh, she's on the phone with companies to get the chemical delivered and so 
I land and I mean, there's been times where I've spent some time on the ground and she's just running in 10 different directions the whole time. And I'm like, I gotta go get back in the airplane. I can't deal with this. <laughs> and so I, I take off and then I'm just, uh, I'm by myself and it's all quiet. And yeah, she really keeps everything running for me. Yeah, I know whose job I'd rather have. <laughs> so if you just take me through actually what your job entails and how how it all works out from when you take off because a lot of people picture crop dusting as flying by the seats of your pants rushing around doing it dangerous but actually if you watch your videos it's, it's very kind of like you're controlled you're relaxed you know what you're doing there's a whole pattern to it it's more of a science right where it's there's a skill involved you know for me and for you know all of us out there that are doing this job it, that's how it is i mean it's it's very much controlled we're working in this controlled environment we don't want anything to jump out at us that we were not expecting uh, and i've seen it i've seen it on social media and stuff and from someone on the ground that's not involved in this it looks chaotic it, you know it, it's just it's like what is that guy doing and things that I've seen posted online, you know, from people that live near a field and they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to hit the house. You know, he's getting he's trying to get as close to our house as possible or someone driving on the road. This pipe, you know, this airplane almost drove me off the road. They almost hit me. And it's it's really nothing like that. We're we're doing our job in the field. And um, for us, it's just it's every day. You know, that's that's what we do. It's our normal routine. But to someone standing on the ground, it can definitely look a little bit scary. But the fields are usually going to be um, maybe 5 to 15 miles away. So it can take anywhere from 2 or 3 minutes to get there to 5 or 6 minutes. And in that time, I'm kind of getting everything set up in the airplane. And then when I get to the field, I circle the field and I look at it and see what's around it as well as what's in it. The goal is to not hit anything uh, so that you you know before going in there what obstacles are around the field and, and what things are, are going to be there, as well as making sure that there's no one nearby. You know, you don't want to be spraying and have someone that's a quarter mile away and the wind is drifting that direction. You, you don't want anyone downwind of it. So I'm looking around in a, in a pretty large areas to what may be around me. I'm also looking for towers because, you know, maybe there's not a tower uh, in the field or next to the field. But if I'm going to be making a turn and I go out a half a mile to make a turn, I need to know that there aren't any towers out there. So I'm kind of taking a general big picture of what's going on around that field. I also am wondering what direction the wind is coming from because I don't want to be flying through my last pass. If I make a pass, in the field and then I come out and I turn and I come back into the field. I don't want the wind drifting into me and I'd be flying through all of that. I want to be working away from it. I know which way the wind is coming from and that is kind of what determines as well as what kind of obstacles there are. That determines how I actually end up working the field. Uh, once I get all that figured out, then I actually start spraying. And uh, I, you know, I go into the field and it's called a pattern, but there are different patterns that you can run as far as how you actually spray that field. And again, I have a video that kind of explains a handful of these different patterns, but you know, I, I usually 95% of the time I run a certain pattern and that takes me throughout the field spraying it. And at the end of it, I, you know, I, the entire field has been applied. And uh, at that point I'm out of product and I go back to Cali 
and I land, and she's there already. The next load has been mixed up. She's ready for me, and so I taxi up, and we do it all again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then even through lunch, I, I heard you, you you carry on as well. Yeah, so um, sometimes I'll stop for, you know, maybe I'm on the ground for 10 minutes to eat lunch. If there is a longer ferry, if I'm going to be going a little bit longer and maybe I've got 10 minutes in the airplane that I'm going to be sitting there ferrying to the field, I'll just throw it in the airplane with me and eat while I'm flying to the field. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it it is pretty constant. Um, There's a lot of work that needs to get done in a short time frame. A lot of this uh, is time sensitive. So the plant only has maybe three or four days that it can have this product applied to it where it's beneficial. And after that time frame, it's either less beneficial or there's no benefit at all. So you really have to get this work done while you can. Yeah. I know you've got lots of great YouTube videos on this, but um, how do people become ag pilots? Yeah, so the way that I did it, um, it's, I, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that do it that grew up doing it or grew up around it. And they know their cousin, their friend, they know someone. And for me, I didn't know anyone. I didn't grow up around it. I went to school to college uh, for aviation, and that's where I got all of my ratings. Um, so your private pilot, um, your instrument commercial, those ratings I got in college. When I graduated, that's when I kind of decided that I didn't want to do the airlines or go that route. And so oh, there are a handful of schools here in the U.S. as well as I believe there's one in Canada. They're loosely spraying schools. I mean, they teach you some basics. It's difficult to just go to one of these schools and you know, every, everything is so different. So from one field to the next, there's so many different scenarios that there, there's just no way that you could go to a school and after a month walk out and be like, well, I'm an expert at this. I can go and fly anything and go and fly anywhere. It gives you the, the basics, though, to maybe go to someone and start and be in a small aircraft, something that's slow, and be able to go and do a good job. But do it in a safe manner as well. And so that's that's kind of the route that I took. And I went to one of these schools and I got the basics. And I, I came out thinking, okay, I'll have the basics. It shouldn't be hard to get a job. But no one wants to hire a brand new guy either that they, they don't know. You know, I mean, no one in the industry knew me. And so trying to find that job was very difficult because not only are they trusting you with their aircraft, so they're going to put you in you know, a hundred or $130,000 airplane, but then they're going to go and let you apply the chemicals to their customers' fields. So now their name is on the line with their customers, even though they're not the ones doing it. So they have to trust that I'm going to go and do a good job for their customer that's been their customer for 20 or 30 years. Well, a lot of times what happens is that you can find a job with an operator uh, as a loader is what they're called. Um, so you're loading the airplane, you're fueling, you're washing the windows, you're doing all of that work on the ground. And you may do that for a couple of years with an operator. They get a sense of who you are, your character, all of that. And then hopefully they have an airplane that maybe they'll put you in and say, you know what, go and start flying some water try this out, you know, let's do this. I'm going to kind of take you under my wing. I'm going to watch you and I'm going to help you and be your mentor 
as you get into this industry. And so that's kind of a typical route to take is to kind of work for someone for a couple of years on the ground and then hopefully move into an aircraft. I, I, I can imagine all the all the, the challenges there are. And like you said, trying to get into it, but also with the operators taking the chance on you. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to be controversial here and I've got some some questions here. And um, the first one being it's a backward industry and drones are going to take over the industry. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say that that's not going to happen. Yeah. I think in my head that I do see probably one day that happening. Um, I don't think that it's around the corner tomorrow. You know, if it's in five years, if it's in 50 years, I don't know. But there's there's a lot that's going to have to be worked out with it. So all of the chemicals that we work with, they have all gone through years and years of testing. And part of that testing is being able to put it through an airplane. So some chemicals out there, you actually cannot, by law, spray them with an airplane. They have to go out through a ground rig. And that's because of different tests that have been done and how do those react coming out of airplanes versus how do they react coming out of a ground rig. There's nothing currently that is on the market that can go out of a drone, out of an unmanned Uh, aircraft. and. The drones right now are, you know, usually four, six, or eight blades to them. You know, they're these they're these quadcopter type deals. And the pattern, the spray pattern that comes out of them is absolutely horrible. I mean, I, I've seen them online. That is not an even application whatsoever. I mean, the product is just going everywhere. And so that's one thing that will have to be worked into it. Um, insurance, you know, to be able to get insurance on this, um, because I mean, the chemical that is coming out of them, that's very, it's expensive. It's, you know, these aren't cheap chemicals that the farmer's paying for to have an insurance company want to insure these helicopters or quadcopters or whatever these, the drones are. Um, I think that's going to be another thing right there. And as I say that, it's not something that I would say is going to make it impossible. It's just, it's going to be a hurdle. And so that's where I say it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, the technology is obviously there. Um, you know, there's no reason that the aircraft that I fly right now, there's no reason that that could not become, quote unquote, a drone. I mean, I mean you know, that could be flown by someone on the ground. There's no doubt about it. But that airplane is already a million dollars. And the cost that it would take to get that, to be able to be flown uh, you know, either by itself or by someone on the ground is just exponential. And so it's not, you know, it's not something that I'm worried about right now. Yeah, I think that's the same generally for pilots all around. You could say that a lot of planes could be automated fully, but there's all the other risks and are people willing to take those risks? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's there's going to be a lot that still needs to be figured out with it. And like I said, I don't know if it's five years or, or yeah. 15 or 30, but um you know, I, I think the technology is there. It's just there's going to be a lot to work through yeah. it. It'd be interesting now to move on to your YouTube channel, which is the main reason I found you and understand why you both started it and, and how that came about. Um, yeah, so it, this was Callie's idea and I'll kind of let her take it. But she is big on wanting to put a good, I guess, a good face out there for this industry. In society today, I think that in general, there are a lot of people that are against what we do. And I think it's because there's a misconception out there. 
I think that there's a lot of information that's not correct and people form opinions on that. And so Callie was for a couple of years, she had said, we need to do something about this. We need to kind of show people what this entails. If we change someone's mind, that's great. But just get this information out there so that people can form a better decision on what they see. Yeah, I think one of the main um, drivers was that people were getting all this misinformation. And I just kept getting frustrated, but I realized that no one was talking about it. No one in our industry or in our shoes was talking about it. And if if we're not going to talk about it, no one's going to do it for us. So we might as well put this information out there. And there's just such a disconnect with the general consumer and agriculture because most people don't live in an agricultural area. And even if they do, they're not immersed in the industry and they don't understand what's going on. So one small bit of information that gets out on the internet that's incorrect. What's what sort of, Callie, what sort of frustrations did you come across or people, what misconceptions did you come across with people? Oh man, this is a, this could be a whole podcast in it of itself. <laughs> but I think the biggest frustration is someone who knows not very much about agriculture in general, forming an opinion based on someone who told them something who also knows nothing about agriculture and this spreading like wildfire. And I was just telling Tyson the other day, it's like the the people that aren't in the industry are louder than the people in the industry. And we need to balance it out and then get louder than those who don't know what they're talking about. You know, a lot of the GMO arguments, the uh, organic arguments, all of that, I feel like, has come from a very deep place of misunderstanding and misinformation, too. So, uh, again, I could talk for hours about this, but there's a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of misinformation. And we're trying to be a voice for the ag aviation industry and for agriculture in general. Yeah, and, and I agree with that because I've spoken to people already about having you on the podcast and that was some of the opinions straight away. It was, oh, they're bad and yeah. it's all GMO, right? And I was like, no, no, I think that's, that's, yeah. that is a misconception. And I think that's, and that's why your YouTube channel is a great resource because it's putting it out there and hopefully it continues to grow and you, you continue to be able to help the people and also help the farmers. Yeah, we've actually had people reach out to us on Instagram with big accounts who want to feature our videos or our content. And and they do that. And the backlash they receive is so big and negative that they have taken it down. And it's, it's frustrating because it's like, well, just hang on. Let's give them the information that they need instead of just letting people get upset about it. And the GMO argument too is, is one that's really frustrating because not a lot of people understand the benefits of GMOs and, and how they benefit agriculture and the food supply so yeah there's a lot there's a lot of negative out there and um that's crazy so is there this risk in the u.s that the the regulators push out the ag aviation is that something you you're worried about or is it something that actually it's the noise is coming from people who aren't involved at all so it's not a risk oh it's more more so people that aren't involved yeah your youtube channel is great and i definitely would recommend anyone listening to go over and watch a couple of your videos because not only for the flying, but also just to understand a bit more about what you guys do. Yeah, thank you. A lot of people come for the flying and and that's a great way to rope people in because they're there for the flying. But then it's like, well, hold on, we're going to give you some information too about farming and food supply and 
um, agriculture in general. So it's great. It's kind of a nice way to suck people in with the cool flying and then they get the information whether they want it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way of them finding out more? Yeah. So I would really recommend following us on Instagram and Facebook during the season. It's nice because I, I get on there a lot just in the day to day. I get on our stories on Instagram and people can kind of see a behind the scenes, what we're doing on the day to day. And then, um, I enjoy taking photos and I'll put those on there. And then YouTube is, uh, our YouTube channel is ag aviation adventures. And we're putting out videos there, um, pretty regularly. We have this list and we filmed a bunch of review or a bunch of videos last summer. And we're working through the list of getting them posted and edited. So YouTube, you can find all of our videos. Instagram is kind of, we'll do uh, Q and A's a lot on there. And that's a great place as well to get a hold of us. Um, we're also on Facebook at Ag Aviation Adventures, and you can send us a message on there. Brilliant. And I'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, we really appreciate you having us on. Yeah. Oh, it's been great. And it's it's great to, like, I, I love these chats because it's actually, it's really nice to actually put face behind the, the names and what you do and understand more about your industry. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for having us on and, and letting us talk about what we do. That's that's helpful, too, for us because it's uh, spreading the good word. No worries. Speak soon. All right. Take care. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Tyson and Kelly. If you're new to the podcast, please do subscribe and share this with a friend or two. I'd really appreciate it. Next week's episode is with a niche helicopter operation in Scotland called Skyhook. Skyhook specialize in using their helicopters to lift large loads to remote regions in Scotland. It's a great episode. Until then, have a great week.